And that's where we begin, but let us begin with a word of prayer, if you would, please. Our gracious Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that across this globe, so many people right now uh, have come together in their specific spaces to worship you, God. And you're a God worthy of worship. You're a God worthy of praise. And so that's why we're here, God. Uh, we would ask that you would indeed lead us to the cross, that we would be able to rid ourselves of ourselves, Lord God, and, and that you would find yourself enthroned in our hearts, in our lives, in our mouths, Lord, in our praises, Lord. Even this morning, Lord, I pray that uh, as we've worshiped and as the, the worship team has led us to you, God, uh, I pray, Father, that the preaching would do the same and that the words of my own mouth and meditations of my own heart would be acceptable to you, O oh God, my strength, my redeemer. Have your way in this place. And for those who might not know you, O oh God, would you just call them ever closer to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to I start out and, um, and offer, I know I don't have to do this because you wouldn't know it, but I, I want to offer the worship team a huge apology because I was late this morning. Um, so, so forgive me, guys, because I always feel out of sync when I don't get to pray with the people who are doing the worship service. And so thank you guys for leading us in, in the last half of worship that I caught. And, uh, and I just want to say I, I do apologize for that. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something about being late. Uh, I, I hate, I just hate being late. But I'm always late. I'm always late. I don't, I don't mean to be. I promise you. That's not the, 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 the end. So I hate to be late. I'm always late. And whenever I am late, it produces in me some kind of angst. Like right now, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I get in sync, right? And, and so we thank God that we can call on him and pray. But the truth is, I mean, I get, I get anxious like that when I'm late, wherever I am when I'm late. So I'm, 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 really, um, I'm really thankful that I'm getting to be here this morning. But I'm also sad, too, because I know I must have put Tim through a hard time. He must have thought, where's Pastor Steve? Probably had to pull a sermon out of his back pocket or something like this. So thank you again for your grace, Pastor Tim. I know you hadn't said it yet, but I'm sure you'll be gracious or you'll put me in the headlock, one or the other. Uh, forgive me for that. And, uh, and I do want to say, uh, uh, just, I, I just always appreciate the worship team. Um, so, you know, uh, while, while we're continuing on with that, I want to just acknowledge and thank God for the ministry, the life and ministry of Pastor Craig, um, who has served the North Sub staff so faithfully um, in these last several years. I, by God's grace, I had the privilege of serving as an interim uh, prior to Pastor Craig coming in. And when he came in, it was just such a, a breath, a breath of fresh air for the church that was so helpful and, and stabilizing for the North Sub community. So by God's grace, we just thank God for uh, his faithful and humble leadership, diligent, wise, came in and just really took control. So I want to just say thank you. And I know you guys must know then that you do have one, that we have one of the greatest pastors in, in, in the ministry today. So let's just thank God for our, our pastor, even in his absence today. Um, and I could go on and tell you about how my own personal encounters with him and my own family has, has just been blessed by him. But I also want to just want to move ahead and thank God for then the, uh, the rest of the staff here at North Sub, Pastor Tim, Pastor Alex, Jane, um, Robbie, all of those leaders and, and all of those leaders who lead with them. Um, man, it's just a beautiful thing to watch 
at North Sub and be here. Uh, I thank God for the elders who've been here. I always want to just, when I get up, just want to laud the people that God has given us to lead this congregation. And by God's grace, um, North Sub sustains. By God's grace, it is because of North, it is because of God that North Sub does good uh, community ministry by God's grace, right? So we thank God for what he does in this particular facility, in this particular assembly of churches, uh, of his churches around the globe. I just want to just, I always want to make sure we do that. Um, I also want to praise God for each and every one of you. Um, thank, thank you guys for just being here today. Uh, I mean, you could have been anywhere this morning, like including your bed sleep. You know, that, that's true, right? In, in fact, I had to learn when I came, this is not part of the message, but I'm just thinking, right? When I first came to Chicago, I had to learn that Sunday mornings weren't the same in the north as they were in the south. Like, because it, it was a shock to me that, man, people taking their kids to, like, do soccer on Sunday morning. I'm like, they do that on Sunday morning? Because in Arkansas, it wasn't like that, you know, so that was years ago. So I really do always want to say thank God for the people who are in the community of faith here at North Sub. But let's go to the Word of God and, uh, and, and, and I, you know, before I do that, I also need to make sure I thank God because this is my partner in crime. God keeps bringing us back together. Thank God for Missy also, man, because Missy and I seem to keep, um, keep running in the same circles. And so we serve together quite often. I'm just thankful, grateful to just see her again and serve with her. Uh, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, let's go to the word of God. And for those of you who are able, would you please stand Uh, And join me as we read from a few verses uh, from the textual voice of the Apostle John. We're going to look at John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. We'll do our best to cover the whole passage, just kind of a survey. But we're going to read John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. Now, I am reading from the new, uh, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible. In the back of your pews, I believe on page 907 is the passage we're coming from, and it is in the English Standard Version. Just do, a, do your best to follow along, and I just want you to hear these words in your hearing. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22, and it reads, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you that when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following him. That disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? 
If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? You follow me. If I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. For the time that is ours today, I want to talk to you from the thought, follow Jesus, whether you feel like it or not. Please be seated. Now, sometimes I like to tell a story to help people know that things aren't always what they seem. I might have even shared this at North Sub before, but um, I like to tell a story to help people know that things aren't always what they seem. True story. Uh, One day, an out-of-work person who lived as a pantomime, that was his profession, a pantomime, M-I-M-E, he lived that way, that was his profession, but he was out of work and and, and he was visiting the zoo, trying to earn some money as a street performer. So he went to the zoo, and as soon as he started to draw a crowd, the zookeeper grabbed him and dragged him into the office. True story. Contrary to kicking him off the premises, the zookeeper explained to the pantomime that the zoo's most popular attraction, a gorilla, had suddenly died a while back. The attendants at the zoo had begun to fall off. He offered the mime a job to dress up as a gorilla until they could get another gorilla. The mime accepted. The next morning before the crowd arrived, this person who is a pantomime put on a gorilla suit and entered the cage. He discovered this was a great job. He could sleep all he wanted and nobody would say anything. He could play and make fun of the people. He drew huge crowds. True story. However, eventually, the crowds tired of him. They became bored of him because he would just be swinging on the tires, and he was tired of swinging on the tires himself. He began to notice that the people were paying more attention to the cage next to him, which had the real lion in it. Not wanting to lose the attention of his audience, he climbed to the top of his cage crawled across the partition and dangled from the top of the lion's cage. Of course, this would make the lion furious. The lion couldn't quite reach him, though he could jump quite high. He couldn't reach him. And the crowd loved it. At the end of the day, the zookeeper came, and he gives the mime a raise for being such a good attraction as a gorilla. He he says, I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And so for a a few months, this, this, this person who's a pantomime dressed in a gorilla suit kept taunting the lion. The crowds grew larger and his salary kept going up. Then, one day, as you might expect, you know what must have happened. He went over to the lion's cage, dangling over the aggravated and furious lion, taunting him. But this time, he slipped and fell. The lion gathered himself and prepared to pounce on him. And the mime was so scared that he began to run around the cage, all around with the lion close behind. And what the crowd saw next was not only interesting, but even more frightening. Because what happened was the mime tripped. And when he did, he found himself flat on his back, looking up at the face of an angry lion. And he, of course, began to cry and scream uncontrollably, yelling for help, help. Help, help, help me, please help me. But the lion was too quick, and before anyone could do anything, he pounced on the actor in the real gorilla suit. He slammed his large paws on the gorilla's chest, 
And as you know, he opened his mouth and the lion slowly lowered his mouth toward him and said, shut up, fool, you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) And I'm just saying, (laughs) some things aren't always what they seem. Uh, but, what is not, but, but what's also not what it seems is this passage in John chapter 21. More often than not, we read this passage and we conclude that this passage is about Peter and the disciples. And while there is some truth to that, actually, John is not so much trying to tell us about Peter and the other disciples, but he's trying to tell us about Jesus He's trying to tell us about Jesus, and we know this because of how he introduces us to these first words in the final chapter of the book of John. Look at how John 21 opens up. John writes, after these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and this is the way Jesus revealed himself. The, 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 the book, the, the, the chapter, John 21, is about Jesus and his revelation to these disciples. It seems like it's about Peter, but it's really mostly about Jesus and how he's attempting to show up in Peter's life and the rest of these disciples. So that's what it seems to be about, but we realize what John would have us to do is keep our eyes on Jesus and learn something about the kind of Savior that he is. And one of the first things we learn is that Jesus is an, listen to it, after these things kind of Savior. Jesus is an after these things kind of Savior. He's, you might call him a post-traumatic stress kind of Savior. Because John starts the chapter off saying after these things, and of course the question you and I need answered is what? After what things? I'm glad you asked me that. I appreciate you. You guys are so astute. I appreciate it. John could have been referring to a great many things that had taken place. Because now it's about 10 days, around 10 days at least, after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and resurrected. Yet prior to that, so much had gone on. Prior to the crucifixion, so much had gone on. We might start only a day before he was to be crucified. Peter flip-flopped on him, maybe after that thing. Peter defended him at first, but denied him at last in John 18. Most of the disciples disciples were nowhere to be found around that time. Maybe after that thing, John could have been meaning after that. The community had chosen a criminal— over him. They chose Barabbas over him. Maybe after that thing, John could have been talking about. Pilate sentenced him to die for political advantage, even though he knew he was innocent. Maybe after that thing. But more likely than not, John is talking about the events that immediately preceded that happened after he died. That is, these events. On the first day of the week, the stone that covered the tomb that Jesus was buried in, had been rolled away, and he was no longer there. He also revealed himself to Mary. Some would call her the first apostle, since she was, she, was, she was sent back to tell the apostles about Jesus. He also revealed himself to Mary, and then Peter, and then John, and then to the other disciples. And in eight days, 
eight days after that, he revealed himself to Thomas. What I mean is they had seen the resurrected Christ two times already now, and they still went fishing because that's how our story begins. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Yet after all of these other things, after all of the hurt that Jesus experienced, after all of the pain and all of the rejection, after these things, he, he, he shows up. After proving himself, even, even through being raised from the dead, he shows up. Perhaps after that thing, after being accepted as living, but the disciples go on with their lives as if he was still dead. After these things, after these things, Jesus shows up. Aren't you glad that you serve an after these things kind of savior? For we have our own moments like Peter and the apostles where Jesus has already been good to us and we still don't quite get it. After that, he shows up. And after we have sinned against him, he is still there for us. And after that, we don't quite get it. And after we know the truth of the gospel and we still falter, after that, he still comes for us. And after we know who he is and what he said, we still go on our own paths anyway. He still shows up in our lives ready and willing to restore us. Aren't you glad, I'll say it again, that we serve an after these things kind of God? Praise God that he shows up in our lives after these things. After the divorce, he's there. After the bad parenting, he's there. I'm sure my kids are going to have some counseling they need to get. Yours too, perhaps, right? After, after we've not been the best of Christians, he's still there. Jesus is there to restore us after these things. I'm grateful that we serve an after these things kind of Savior. After all. Why did Jesus come back for Peter or these disciples? According to John chapter 19, verse 28, there was no more scripture for him to fulfill. There was no more blood for him to shed. According to John chapter 19 and 30, all that he came to do was finished. He said it on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. Why does he come back for them? And why does he come back? For us, because he's an after these kinds of things savior. But a second reality we learn about the kind of savior that Jesus is is that he is a repeatedly patient kind of savior. A repeatedly patient kind of savior. After these things, the Bible says, Jesus revealed himself, listen to it, again. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again, and the Bible says that he did so on the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret when you read that in the Bible. Same sea. And what caused the disciples to open their eyes and recognize him is that when some of them were out fishing three years earlier on the Sea of Galilee, they had fished all night. But they were unsuccessful in their experience. And here John says in verse 2 that the seven of the disciples were now fishing. Peter says, let's go fishing. And these six other, the seven other disciples uh, say, hey, uh, these six other disciples say, hey, well, we'll just go with you. And, 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 and they just choose to go fishing. 
and, 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 and they caught nothing. It was similar to what they had experienced three years early when Peter was on, about to be finished fishing. In Luke chapter 5, we read this. And then he comes in and Jesus says, you know what? Go back out. Cast your nets out one more time. And here, Peter said, man, Lord, we've been out all night. And, 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 and in some sense, you get the sense that Peter was saying, you know, we've been out all night. Uh, the professionals have been out all night. Uh, and we have worked hard and we have not caught anything. Uh, but Jesus says, go back and do it again. And when they go back and do it again, they pull in so many fish that the nets were breaking. Well, in a similar vein, it was on the same sea, in the same circumstance. They didn't catch anything, and he told them to cast their net over to the other side. Uh, they didn't catch anything then, but when he told them that they caught fish just like that, they did it again. Here they are about 100 yards from shore. Jesus yells out and says, hey, children, do you have any food? Do you have any fish? Do you have any meat? And they say, no, we don't. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And when they do, the Bible says they caught 153 fish. When they follow his instructions, they catch more than what they need. It was at this moment, though, that it allowed them to see that Jesus was a repetitively patient Savior. Now, if you're like me, most of us don't like to have things repeated to us. I, I've even been in, uh, you know, I, when I preach, I tend to repeat myself. I, I intentionally do that because um, I think that's a biblical thing for me. That's, and all, all preachers don't have to do that, but I try and do it um, so that's, because I think that's a biblical thing. And, and repeating, but sometimes repeating ourselves, you get to thinking, man, I heard you the first time. I don't want you telling me that again. And maybe it's our arrogance and maybe it's our, you know, uh, maybe it's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm smart. Whatever it is, you know, we don't always like having things repeated to us. In fact, there's a but there's a Latin proverb uh, that I think has some validity to it. Um, I won't say it in Latin, but it says it, it says this and you've heard it before. It says repetition is the mother of all learning. Anybody ever heard that? Repetition is the mother of all learning. And we see in the New Testament from time to time repetitive practices taking place so that we might get the point. In fact, we find the Apostle Paul saying to the church at Philippi, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he tells them to rejoice. And he says, because to write the same things to you again is not a trouble to me, but it's safe for you. And I don't know if we know it or not, but the things that God wants to teach us, when he teaches them over and over and over to us again, it's safe for us. It's a good thing for us. And the thing about our Lord is that he is repetitive in his love for us. He's repetitive in perpetual forgiveness for us. No matter how much you miss it, he keeps repeating the same things over and over to us. He keeps showing up over and over to us and showing us over and over that he is indeed a patient kind of Savior. In fact, we should take note that Jesus showed himself now in this moment in John chapter 21 and he repeats what he does. This is now the third time. Out of, out of others that Paul tells us about later, but right now it's the third time that Jesus 
shows himself to the disciples. And the one thing that this shows us is that the facts of our theology and the faith in our beliefs, even when they aren't always enough to keep us serving Christ, we can find in Jesus a repetitive pursuit of us, a repetitive love for us. Sometimes that will do the trick. I want you to know, I mean, uh, Peter and the disciples had already seen the risen Christ. They, they knew the facts of the resurrection because they had been there. They, know, they knew them better than we know them today. He had spoken verbally with them. They had, they had touched the nails, the, the, the holes in his, his body. And still, he showed himself to them and they still went astray. After knowing the facts, after having great faith in belief, it wasn't enough to keep them on task. My friend, it's not only the facts of your theology and the truth of your belief that will keep you following Jesus, but it is also the feelings that you have for God and, more importantly, that he has for you. It's also that that will keep us gladly serving him and his repetition of revealing himself to you and I is proof that he loves us. And, and some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about here in this case. You, you were like the disciples, perhaps, and, and you had almost let go. You were like the disciples, perhaps you'd had a failure in your life, and you thought, well, that was it for you and Jesus. You were like the disciples in your life, and you had missed the boat, you had missed the point, you had disappointed God, you had disappointed others around you, and you thought that was all she wrote, that was the done deal, and you, don't, you weren't even sure if you could walk with God anymore. You were like the disciples in that maybe you could walk with God, but hey, surely I can't serve him like I really need to serve him. Anybody ever been in that position? Anybody ever been there where, where your life has taken you on a different road than you thought your life would have taken you? Like Peter. Peter would never have figured that he would be in this position because he said to Jesus, Jesus, if anybody won't deny you, that'll be me. If anybody, if anybody is going to stand with you the whole time, that's going to be me. And Jesus says to him, he says, you know, truth be told, I already know what's true about you. You're going to deny me three times. Peter was like, not me. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I don't think you know what you're talking about, Jesus. You're not going to deny, I'm not going to deny you. And, and then guess what happened? Three times, Peter denies Jesus. And now, he's seen the resurrected Jesus. He knows the truth. And still he goes astray. And so he says, I'm going fishing. And he let go. He's like, I, I don't think I can do what, Whatever it is that Jesus called me to do. And he says, you know, I'm just going to go fishing again. That's what I know. That's what I do. I'm a fisherman. Sometimes we've been that way. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, though. When you yourself had almost let go. And just when you thought you would let it go. Christ found you in the nick of time. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm not talking about people who wouldn't have trusted Christ anyway. I'm talking about some of us right in here. We, we know Jesus. And still, I'm almost, I, I just don't know if I can do what Jesus is asking of me. 
I just don't know if I want to do what Jesus is asking of me. I just don't know if Jesus would really still want me to do what he had asked of me at once. That's where Peter was. And the disciples followed not far behind. And there he was in that position. And just when you thought it was over, here comes Jesus rescuing the disciples. People say it is because of the resurrection that the church moved forward. People say that because of the resurrection, the belief that the apostles had was now firm and established. I'm telling you, I don't think it was just the resurrection. I'm telling you, it was this moment in John chapter 21 where Jesus comes running after his children. And he does the same thing to you and I today. He runs after you and he says to you, no, no, you think that what you have done to me disqualifies you. But no, no, Uh, you're mine. You're mine. And I'm coming after you to demonstrate that. That must be why the songwriter said, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. That's the kind of God we have, a just when I need him most kind of God who's repetitively patient, who shows up when we don't think he would show up. Thirdly, Jesus is a sharing kind of Savior. After listening to Jesus, they caught, uh, you know, the Bible tells us they caught 153 fish. They dragged them to the shore. When they rode in to meet Jesus off the lake, John tells us in verse 12 that Jesus invited them to breakfast right there on the beach. Now, we didn't read that part, but what wound up happening was when they were 100 yards out, Uh, They caught these fish, and when they caught these fish, the Bible says Peter uh, wrapped himself up. He jumped in the water. He swims to Jesus. The boat starts swimming to Jesus. Then all of them together pull these 153 fish ashore and bring them to Jesus. They drag them on the shore, and, 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 and he invited them. He says, I want you to bring some of what you bring and put it together with what I've already got. And when they arrived on the shore, there was fish already, enough for them, burning on the coals. That is, the thing that they were looking for all night was already prepared for them when they arrived in his presence on the shore. The thing that they were looking for all night when they arrived in his presence was on the shore. That right there will preach in itself. That something about getting in the presence of Jesus allows us to receive all we need, even in our moments of despair. In fact, we see this in the psalm, right? The psalmist says this. He says, you know, when I looked at these evil people, I don't know what I was going to do with them. But then I began to worship. And then I understood He understood that God was going to be elevated. He understood that God was going to be glorified. And don't you know that sometimes the thing we need most is to be in the presence of the almighty God. And that's what these men found, that when they get in the presence of Jesus, they got everything they need. I think you and I find that as well. None of them had worked for it. None of them had earned it. They weren't entitled to it. But Jesus gave it to them as a gift. 
He said, come and have breakfast. And yet again, he provides then for these disciples as he had done time and time again before. And it lets us know that we need not be so worried and, and concerned about always trying to do things for Jesus. Rather, we would do well to let Jesus do things for us. And he's already made it so that you are his children. He's going to set you up. He's, he's coming to restore his children. And for those of us who need to be restored, he brings us, he comes back chasing, he comes back running. He brings us into his table so that we could share with him. Jesus wants to share his life with you and me. And he's even willing to trade part of what you have with some of what he wants to give. By the way, we see this kind of thing throughout the scriptures. We see Elijah uh, ask the widow for an empty jar and she gets back an overabundant supply of food. We see Isaiah who tells us that if we bring God our ashes, he will give us beauty in return. Amen. We see him saying if we bring him our mourning, he will share with us the oil of joy. And if we bring him a heavy heart, he will trade it for a cloak of praise. That's why Paul says, set your affections, set your minds on things above. In fact, I think the word affections is appropriate here because it more closely aligns with the word love that Peter used when he responded to Jesus that he loved him. It was an effective kind of love, an emotional kind of love. Paul says, set your affections on things above, not on earthly things, because you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, will appear, you will also appear with him in glory. You see the trade there? Your life has died, but you're not dead because Christ has given you, he's traded with you his life. He's shared with you the life that he has. In fact, he has so that you might live. That's the kind of God we serve. He's a sharing kind of Savior. In fact, it is this very glory that, he, that Paul speaks of here, uh, this very glory of God that Jesus wants to share with his church. And in fact, he didn't even wait until the end of time. Jesus says in John 17, 22, Father, the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them so that they may be one. He gave it to us for a purpose. But the glory which you've given to me, I've given them so that they may be one. Jesus is a sharing kind of Savior, and he's willing to share his whole life with you. He's willing to give you his power. He's willing to give you his compassion. He's willing to give you his forgiveness and everything else that he has in order to conform us to become like him, in order for us to be conformed into the image of God's Son. Jesus is willing to give it. That's why the Apostle Paul says, uh, the, the, the Apostle John says, we don't know exactly what we will be like, but one day we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Well, we'll see him as he is because he keeps sharing his life with our life. And he's making you and I more like him. He wants to share that with you. And I hope to God that we would do what these disciples did and take all that we have and put it in Jesus' hands so that we can say that we've shared life with the Savior and God, no doubt, will allow us to be those who share our lives with others until they come to the true knowledge of Jesus. Until they come to the true knowledge of Jesus. 
Finally, Jesus is a restoring kind of Savior. He is a restoring kind of Savior. Um, the Bible teaches us here that Jesus, we, we find him in his uh, conversation with Peter. And in his conversation with Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I love you. But Peter's saying this now with a bit less bravado than he did in the, in the past. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. In fact, he uses a different word than Jesus loves. And he, Peter says, do you love me? That is, he uses the, the word with the root word agape or agapao. And, 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 and Peter responds to him and says, I phileo you. Now, I don't want to make too much about the differences in that word because there really aren't. Some say, some say, well, when Peter uses that different word, what he's really saying is I love you. I don't, I don't quite agape you, but I phileo you. I don't buy that. Uh, because there are other places in the New Testament where the Bible teaches us that, that God loves Jesus and he uses the word phileo. What it more likely means is that there's an affection that I really have for you. That's what Peter was trying to say, like, man, I really do love you. Deep in my heart, I love you. Deep in my heart, deep in my soul, I love you. And Peter was saying, and, and Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, Jesus, and, Jesus, and Peter was responding, yes, I love you. Uh, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. And Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And each time he asks, Jesus responds, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. If you really love me, go ahead and act your love out for me by serving others, by feeding others. That's what Jesus does. But what's interesting about that is how, how, how Jesus sets the stage for this thir these three uh, declarations here. What was interesting is that he set the stage with coals of fire on that beach. Now that's significant because when Peter denied Jesus, he was standing around some coals of fire. And he set the stage uh, so that Peter could say, so that Peter could say, yes, I love you, and be reminded of those coals of fire. Um, he also set the stage so that Peter can be reminded that, um, that, that, that when you say this, Peter, I, I haven't thrown you to the side, but I'm coming to restore you. I'm restoring you. So he, three times, Peter, around that fire, says, I don't know Jesus. And now three times, Peter asks him, and he says, I do know Jesus. Three declarations against, three declarations for Jesus' church. Just trying to let him know, on your worst day, you can't get me away from you. On your worst day, I'm going to set a stage up to restore you. And, and some of us have some bad days, don't we? I'm talking about, I know, you know, I know, we expect unbelievers to have bad days. Uh, but believers who have bad days. And when I say bad days, what I mean is sometimes believers don't act like believers. Am I right? I mean, I know that doesn't happen at North Sub, but most other churches around the world, believers don't always act like believers. Amen? Again, not at North Sub. Um, preachers don't always act like preachers, right? Right? 
Deacons don't act like deacons ought to act, according to 1 Timothy. Uh, those things don't happen. You know, husbands don't act like husbands ought to act. Wives don't act like wives ought to act. Children don't obey their parents like they ought to. Parents aren't the best to their children. We're not the best to our, uh, employ- our pl- employers or employees. As Christians, these things take place. And in our doing the wrong things, quite often we denounce Jesus. Some of us even verbally would have denounced the Lord Jesus. We've denied the Lord Jesus, either through our actions or through our verbiage. Yet Jesus comes and he says, I want to restore you. I want to put you back where you think you ought not be. Because I love you. And because the mission is very important. In fact, you, you, you'll remember that. This is outside of the text. But when Peter did, when Jesus finally told Peter that you're going to betray, uh, deny me uh, three times, he says, he says and, and, and in another place, he says, um, he says, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. And he says, he says, but don't worry about it. I've prayed for you so your faith doesn't fail. And... I want you to strengthen your brothers after you return. Here's that moment. Here's that moment that that Peter was leading his brothers astray. Jesus said, that's not what I called you to do. I'm restoring you to lead them back to me. And that's what he wants to do with us. It may be that there may be only one or two people in here in this place who need to be restored today. I want you to know that's the Jesus you serve. That's the Jesus you serve. He is that kind of Savior, one who restores, one who loves, one who keeps. Now, when it's all said and done, he'll be pleased, and you'll be all the, all the more glad you did that you came back to the living Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for this message that reminds us that you are a God who restores. You are a sharing kind of God, an after-these-things kind of God, who helps us, Lord, to know that even in our mishaps, even in our failures, even in our sin, even in our our less-than-excellent behavior, Lord God, that falls short of your glory, you're there, you're wanting to demonstrate that you are a God who restores And so, God, we thank you for that kind of being. We thank you for who you are. And I pray right now, Father, that where we are in this place, if there's anyone in this place who would need the restoration of God, I pray that you'd meet them right now. I pray that this message would have been for them. And for those, Lord, who of us who who we believe that we're right on track with you, God, I pray that you would keep us and and hold us, Lord, and that you would hold to, as the the songwriter says, uh, we'd be able to hold to your unchanging hand, Father God so that you yourself might receive all the glory and praise and honor. And finally, Lord, for those who might not know you at all, I pray that they would remember indeed that this is the kind of Jesus who calls them to him so that they may know that his death on the cross and his resurrection was for them as well. May they experience your life as you share it with them. In Jesus' name, amen.